Hello there, and welcome to Her Music Academia, the podcast. I'm your host, Lydia Bangura. On this podcast, I talk all about music. I talk about my own experiences in music as a music researcher and an opera singer. I'm currently conducting research as a music PhD student at the University of Michigan. I also have guests on the show to talk about their experiences in music, everything from music education, music performance, music production, trying to get as many perspectives on music as I can. Today on the show is actually part two, a continuation of the last episode where we dive into Renaissance by Beyonce. I have my sister on the podcast, Isma Tu Gwendolyn, a rising TikTok star making political education TikToks. We really get into the politics of Beyonce, you know, everything that she represents and really getting into the themes of the album Renaissance, everything from black capitalism to black womanhood, black excellence. Of course, we get into the aesthetics of the album and our favorite songs. And finally, I really wanted to make sure that I was including more than just our perspective on the album. And so I reached out to some of the black women and femmes in my community and actually got them to send in their thoughts on Renaissance. So stay tuned. You're going to hear from multiple voices, multiple perspectives from me and my girls. Shout out to all my friends for contributing their thoughts on this album. Without further ado, here's our conversation. I guess without further ado, we can get into Beyonce. Indeed. Yeah. So, wow. What is there to say about Renaissance? It's like, how do we even intro? These motherfuckers <laughs> you know, ain't stopping Please, motherfuckers ain't stopping <laughs> you. It's know. a reminder. Yes. <laughs> You know, as we're uh, recording this, it's been out for about six months. You know, it's Black History Month, so we have to talk about Beyonce, and we have to talk about Renaissance, you know. So I, I did a Beyonce episode of the podcast almost a year ago, listeners. I'll put it in uh, the show notes. You can go back and listen to that. It was my first solo episode of a podcast ever, and it is still one of our most popular episodes. I was surprised because it was like, I didn't have a guest. I just did it for a class, and I didn't think people would listen to just me talking for like 40 minutes, and y'all did and still do. So thank you for listening to that and uh, for kind of proving to me that I could maybe make this a solo endeavor. So in general, uh, Isma, too, let's talk. Let's start with like how you felt before Renaissance about Beyonce. So Beyonce in general, large strokes. You know, we we kind of grew up with Beyonce. Um, well, great- actually, you were a Beyonce fan when we were growing up. I was oh, not. Absolutely. Wait, really? Let's get into this. <laughs> I wasn't like not a fan. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, you were Beyonce. just like, oh yeah, Beyonce. I was a stan. Yeah, from you were the a stan. Crazy I in was... love is such a visceral moment. Okay, well, so crazy in love is very different. Crazy <laughs> in love is one of my first like pop culture memories. Yes, like, one of my earliest memories pop culturally was watching. Was like, I think this is why our age graphic and our demographic loved the music video of Motivation by Normani so much. Like the, the song itself, it's a great pop song. It's lovely. Right. Um, the music video was the thing that made that song like, oh, Normani is a budding superstar. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to bide my time. Sure. I'll wait for as long as she needs me to wait. She's waiting on a label. I'll wait it out. You waiting out like personal issues? Girl, I will wait it out. Yeah. Um, because that music video has a little girl looking at MTV 
um, and seeing her favorite artist come on, which is Normani in, you know, crazy and love attire and like getting that shit. And it was just so good that even her grandma was like, you better get that shit, Normani. That, like, yes. was that not our grandmother as we shook up, oh, up and down? <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> as little girls like and yes. everyone was like you get that shit because it was so yes. good yeah so it's not that I did it's not that I was not a fan of Beyonce's and I like disliked her I loved Beyonce enough I was just a mm-hmm. Kelly girl and I was a stand-up sure. Destiny's Child Destiny's and then when they child. broke up I was like just patiently waiting for Kelly Rowland to explode and sure. then I learned about colorism sure so <laughs> it wasn't that I didn't like Beyonce it was that I, I was just, I, and I like we loved gospel so obviously I loved Michelle and then Beyonce was like Beyonce's a wonderful pop star I appreciate her presence she makes great hits um but I did not feel strongly about Beyonce as an artist until homecoming okay so I'll say okay that my first like my the first Beyonce project that I had consumed and listened to in full was homecoming uh no it was lemonade and then it was homecoming. Sorry. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, listeners, go back and listen to the Beyonce episode. This is a very quick recap for me. But, you know, I was very, yes, crazy in love, very visceral moment in my childhood. Very big on the sh- the uh, Sasha Fierce era as well. Single Ladies was huge for me. Um, and then Formation was huge for me. Right. So leading into the the, the Lemonade era. Huge, 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 huge. Also, the self-titled album I absolutely love. Love um, self-titled. Still, yes, one of my favorite Beyonce albums for sure. Um, so you know, it kind of felt like you know that I was growing up with her. Um, and and the culmination for me when I was, I think Formation came out when I was maybe like eighteen or nineteen. So it was kind of like as I was entering adulthood. You know, Beyonce has this huge like you know declamation of blackness, and it was like oh. <laughs> Wait, me too. Okay. Like, just so great. And I, I, I really adored it. I would say that I am one of the girls who did grow up with Beyonce. I remember sitting in the backseat of my older cousin's car and listening to Irreplaceable. I remember listening to Destiny's Child. So I pretty much grew up with Beyonce. And so it's really been amazing to see you know to not only see myself grow up with her but also just her evolution as an artist throughout those years so i feel like (laughs) i in addition to many other black kids black girls grew up like you know listening to destiny's child having older sisters who did um and just kind of charting her career like her career ascending um in parallel to kind of like my growing up, becoming an adult, things like that. Um, And with my becoming more critical, like realizing more ways to be critical of Beyonce, more ways to be empathetic to her and just like other celebrities in general, especially those, um, you know, who live their lives in the public eye, like as black women um, and things like that. So just like very much I do, I do very much enjoy her, do very much like her, um, and do not very much take kindly to people, you know, (laughs) dissing her as a performer or anything, because I'm like, all other, you know, perceptions aside, there's no checking that, like, you know, she's not amazing at what she does. But yeah, as, as a Black transracial adoptee, specifically, having been raised in predominantly white spaces, media was my primary connection to blackness until I was old enough to branch out of my immediate community. 
I, I just didn't see people who looked like me on a regular basis when I was little. And most pop cultural icons of the 90s and early 2000s were white. So Beyonce and Scary Spice too, you know, to a, you know, a lesser extent, I guess, were like my North Stars. Kind of setting the stage for Renaissance. So how did you receive Break My Soul last summer? I didn't like it that much. Okay, why? I didn't I didn't like because it was just like, oh, um, you are doing labor rights. Like it was a it was a teaser to the rest of Renaissance, which is very of the moment. Like I always say that Beyonce is not just an art or Beyonce's artistry is not just performance. It's not just music. She's also an ethnographer. She's one of the best cultural ethnographers that we have. Mm. And we are lucky that one of the best cultural ethnographers on the planet, ethnographers of Black American culture, has the money to be able to disseminate media that captures Black American culture so effectively. Yeah. So as mad as I am about things that are inconsistent, it's also inconsistencies that I'm mad about within the Black community and within the Black political conscience. So she's talking about like, damn, these people working me so hard, while she also employs slave textile labor right like so that's why i was like oh okay nothing has really leveled up in terms of your politic you're always going to be a passive observer but you're never going to be working to make change these things you're just going to get a buck on saying that they exist so i was disappointed Mm, okay yeah. yeah so you know this kind of started back obviously with um with, with formation and with lemonade um and with you know her sexy black panther performance at the super bowl uh <laughs> which you know i remember really liking at the time but it's kind of like in retrospect first of all the black panther party was like no we do not endorse uh <laughs> and celebrities Carter. do that all the time and yeah. black panthers come out they are alive they yeah. speak like we can ask them how they feel and they were like jay and beyonce can keep it yeah yeah. So it really yeah. is like, you know, the way that she is um has been kind of um taking on black radical aesthetics, um, but not really obviously the politic being reflected in her personal life, um, you know, or in her identity. Um, and she's always kind of been doing that, right? Like she she has become because she's such an incredible performer and because she's so kind of synonymous with the black woman in popular music um she has kind of come to represent and this is maybe something that the black community can like map onto her but also something she willingly accepts right that she's kind of the representative for the black woman in popular culture um when she can't relate to most the vast majority of black women and femmes right because she has this is something that again we don't really talk about when we talk about beyonce's excellence is all the privilege that goes into her excellence which is being lighter skinned being thin you know being straight and being married yeah Yeah. also being the the um, appearance of straightness i'll say like when we talk about what beyonce is we're talking about her persona i have no idea who that lady is sure i don't i can't Of course not. And I never will. What I do know is I, I, I'm intimately familiar as a consumer of your uh, brilliance and your brilliant marketing. Since I have been but a child, I have not existed at a point in time where Beyonce wasn't famous. Mm. So 
as a consumer of your image, the media image that you put out and craft very carefully into the world and the narrative that you allow to be told about you, that is somebody mm. straight, absolutely. It's someone who is light-skinned with honey blonde hair. Sure. Uh, it's someone who is always thin but thick. Like, even if you thick, you still got a snatched-ass waist. Yeah. Uh, it's someone who has the appearance of, as time goes on, part of Beyonce's beauty has been because she can afford it. And it's sure. obvious. Like, yeah. her teeth are stunning and her teeth are look look and shape very very differently than when she was in destiny's child because that's what happens when you have to have a beautiful smile for years and years and years and you also need to like you know have fun and smoke cigars and drink coffee you have the money to be able to have a literal million dollar smile so beyonce's genetics are beautiful but also her maintenance of her aesthetics is very 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 careful and expensive and made to look effortless which you know how much money that costs so uh, she has ample footing to be able to say brilliant messages. It's mm. just that for me, art is most impactful when it has a bite to it. Like the artists that I love the most are compelled by and are wrapped up in their politic and their politics compel them to do something. And Beyonce's politic is I should be rich, but your art is about communal suffering. It's about mm. communal liberation. It's about communal wealth. Right. It just doesn't, it, it falls a little flat for me when I know that all of this talk about community is going to make you rich. Right. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm going to be honest and say that when I first listened to Break My Soul on the radio, um, so this was like when Break My Soul was first a, a single and not, um, this is before the album was released. I would say I was actually like really surprised. I was like, it, did Beyonce write this song? Like, um, because I just felt like if it, it felt the least like Beyonce, or at least the Beyonce I know, because you know I don't personally know her or anything, but I would say that the lyrics in the song, when it came to themes like, you know, quitting your nine to five, quitting your job and that kind of aspect of the song um resonated with a lot of people including myself about hmm you know why do we at some point Beyonce is representative of black capitalism and then in other aspects there's Beyonce the um she's trying to be the relatable like everyday person I'm not the capitalist I am just like y'all I'm trying to just like grind and grind out and work I think that tension is really interesting to see how when people point it out because it's such an important thing that we need to highlight. It highlights that this is an important conversation we need to be having about the elusive goals of black capitalism in our community. And frankly, I don't have that kind of perfectionist work ethic. Um, and I don't, I don't love the capitalism of it all. Um, but that's just, that's just who she is. She is a pop star who occasionally gets involved in activism. Yeah, yeah. So Break My Soul, I remember listening to it and feeling similarly underwhelmed. I liked the song. But I did yeah. feel, yeah, I was, again, this is something that I talked about in my last Beyonce episode, where it was just like, are people not 
feeling the cognitive dissonance. People aren't like bothered. Like I'm bothered by this and I can't, you know, I can't really suspend my disbelief enough to just be like, it's a bop. Like, yes, aesthetically, like I, you know, the song is really beautiful, but it was just kind of like, I don't, you know, this is not, all we're going to say. Yeah. It was just like, nope, nobody is taking a critical eye to this. And, you know, um, but, you know, as I, as I kind of, ha- you know, talk more colloquially with my friends about the album and, you know, think about public reception. Um, and also I wrote a, a, a paper about Beyonce last year where I quoted this, this poll, right? That talks, have I mentioned this poll to you? Uh, it was a 2017 poll that, uh, uh, asked the nation's top four feminists uh at the time right so it's this public poll and the top results were oprah winfrey michelle obama hillary clinton and beyonce which is just like whoa (laughs) like what what a group of women to cite and it was just kind of like oh so this is what the public thinks that feminism is Like, these are the women that are educating the public about feminism. God help us all. Yeah, and it was like, oh, not a a literary giant, not a, no, okay, okay, (laughs) right? And so, so when when we talk about kind of um, public perception and the ways that people are able to suspend their disbelief in order to consume this music, you can't suspend your disbelief if you believe that this woman is selling you labor rights <laughs> if this woman is selling you feminism if this woman is selling you right like black excellence and black radicalism if you believe that that's what this performance really is and that it's not mm-hmm. just the aesthetics of said things but it's actually the politic of said things then you have no there's no belief to suspend because it's like this is th- this is what black radicalism is it's beyonce and if that's like your only cultural, political understanding of a black radical movement, then it's like that is that is scary to me. I feel like she knows too, she and that's know. really she's what very observant. Have- she doesn't make or- a move that's not no. extremely calculated. Exactly. So if you can see that the masses are craving radicalism, are craving revolution. Mm-hmm. And you give them a bite-sized version that is addictive enough to be played over and over, but doesn't have any real teeth to compel anybody to action. That doesn't feel insidious to you. That feels deeply opportunistic to me mm-hmm. in a way that I have trouble forgiving. Because the it, like my other thing is, if Beyonce wanted to like lead people to real revolution, she could. She could. And she has enough money to keep herself safe. But instead of using her wealth and setting an example, she uses her wealth to get more money. And the negotiations she's required to make with the patriarchy to do that, she's openly told us, I'm willing to make those negotiations. Mm. That's a really great point. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about her relationship with Jay-Z and then we'll get into the... (laughs) your face we'll get into the <laughs> the the album proper yeah so speaking on the negotiations that she makes with patriarchy you know 
we talked about how she has all these privileges. She's this light-skinned woman with light hair. She, you know, she's, you know, incredibly beautiful and has the money to maintain her beauty. And yet all of that doesn't save you Mm-mm. from patriarchy. Ultimately, it doesn't save you from mistreatment of the men that are closest to you. And so, you know, I feel like that negotiation also really shows up in this album. She's also going to lose way more money than Jay-Z stands to lose should they divorce. Yes. So Mm -hmm. in that way, you're still, I wouldn't call her dependent necessarily, but so much of your fortune is inextricably tied with his, which is a very precarious place to be. It's precarious. It's a bitter laugh because you, Beyonce would have been Beyonce without Jay-Z, but he never would have been Jay-Z. He hadn't had bagged you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Point blank. He would have been great. But A, let's be honest and say one of the reasons that Jay-Z is the rapper that he is is because his competition died. They 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 were shot. I don't believe that if Tupac and Jay-Z were the same age, we would feel about Jay-Z like we feel. That's real. I'ma leave it in. Okay. <laughs> and then um part of Jay-Z's cultural and social capital came when he had your hand in marriage Mm. but you don't and and it's like it's it's i'm not saying that jay-z isn't like one of the greatest of all time because he is um i'm saying that there were multiple goats that wanted you like you had a pick so he benefits so much more from your marriage than you do career wise you were gonna be it regardless you were because if you can do it without your dad you most definitely could have done it without him absolutely you prove to yourself that you can sell the records and i think true legendary status i mean it's not that beyonce isn't a legend obviously that's not negotiable she's now the most decorated (laughs) uh artist of all time like her legend is secured your legend is secured as a performer your legend could have been secured as a revolutionary. And instead of putting on that for marketability reasons, you could have done it. Mm -hmm. And, but that's not something that would have been possible with a marriage to somebody like Jay-Z who is an open capitalist um, and, and wants to be called a revolutionary for being an open capitalist. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine? Okay. Y'all remember his goofy (laughs) shit that he was saying in that clubhouse room about, yes. And on Twitter Twitter. about like, well, you know, all people want to do is bring down the black man in America. And like, we found a way to circumvent that. And we made this incredible music, you know, that, that uh, wasn't getting airtime. It wasn't getting radio play. And we came up anyway. And now y'all are making up terms like capitalism because you want to destroy the, and it was like, so you said it's like it, it baffles me because you, oh, you're you so close, right? You fought against these structures that were built against you and you rose up. And instead of tearing those structures down, instead of taking the massive amounts of wealth and using it for communal good, which is what you said, right? Oh, we do all this for the community. No, we do all this for the kids. We do all that. Yeah, 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 right. You're wealthy and you're like, I can't believe that everybody is so mad at me for being wealthy. Isn't this what we wanted? No. <laughs> you noodle goose bitch. It's not. Of course it's not. Goofy. Ridiculous. He's out here calling himself the reincarnated Fred Hampton. Wash your mouth. 
it, like you you pose with a Basquiat who openly died wanting his art to not be hidden away in private collections to make rich people rich. He wanted it to be accessible to the public. You say that you're for black radicalism and you take Tiffany Diamond money. Yikes. So the thing is you have enough money to build things that are actually for us and you don't. Mm -hmm. And then you want us to reward you. Mm. And you you sell the revolution back in bite-sized consumable pieces because people are addicted to the illusion of freedom, the illusion of scarce safety and the illusion of security. And you people mm. who actually have infrastructure money, you people who actually have safety and security because you have, you can afford the infrastructure to create that. You sell it back in the illusion so that you can continue to fund it for yourselves and actuality. It's insidious. Exactly, exactly. It breaks my heart in the case of Beyonce because you said- it was for us. Like you said, it was for black women, but black women will never be free doing what you do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The only thing, the best that you can be is the exception to the rule. The best that you can be is part of the, the, the boy club, Mm -hmm. but that's never going to save us. You saved you and you made a whole album about us. You sold us, us, and then you saved you. Mm. So Lemonade was the first time that I was fundamentally changed by Beyonce's art. Everything else was like, I like it. But I wasn't a fan, like a stan of Beyonce until I watched the visual album and said, oh, she's one of us. And more than that, she's allowing herself to be seen in vulnerability and be seen in imperfection. Yeah. And she did so in like ways that were intergenerational and Mm. um, like in ways she made like a classic album that transcended time and informed pop culture in the meantime. It wasn't, now it wasn't just feminism. It wasn't just woman, it was black feminism and black feminism is radical. And then you saved you. Yeah. And now you put out Renaissance and talk to us about how in love you are with your husband as if I'm just supposed to forget. We didn't forget like, Beyonce. Al- I mean, also we Renaissance has heavy themes of drugs and being like, I don't know where I am. I lost my mind. I'm doing drugs. I love my husband. I, like. It's difficult for me to not see. And that was, I mean, I'm projecting. I'm going to tell you honestly, that was a lot of my life as a stripper. Like just getting through it, doing what I needed to do and making the negotiations that I need to make in order to get the money. Right. And like only feeling the 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 moments of like otherworldly, like, like the end of Virgo's groove, uh, which is like haunting almost the way that her voice sounds. Like we only get the a, a belly of the beast, a dark side in these little bits, in these little moments, in these little clips. Um, and I think that we can also only see that in Renaissance by reading in between the lines of the world's at war, but we're taking vacations to Turks. Yeah, that's phenomenal cultural ethnography because that's exactly what's happening to us as a Black community right now. Like as a whole, we're in the midst of the Black luxury movement and also thinking about how uh, American imperialism affects those abroad. The reason why I listened to Beyonce was because at the time when I was growing up um, as a kid in the early 2000s, you know, the environment that I grew up in was, you know, we listened to predominantly pop music. And Beyonce was one of the few black women that was in that space. I remember when I got my 
when I got a PlayStation 2 as a gift as a kid and we got SingStar, you know, Crazy in Love would be the one song that we would sing over and over, me and my sister, because we just loved it. You know, the, the symbolism of what she even wore in that outfit is like largely recognizable as her biggest breakout moment, you know. And so with her different eras and as she was sort of coming into her own solo career that was what the moment in which I got to know Beyonce you know in the early 2000s so for me having her as the artist that I felt like I could always relate to um, because she was a black woman but also just because I loved her music so much it only made sense I guess with time and consistency that she is literally one of my favorite artists you know it's like refreshing to hear something new, but something still familiar. And I feel like when I think about the word Renaissance and these ideas of rebirth, it's kind of like you are open to, I guess, like newness and new possibilities. But some of what makes those possibilities exciting is the familiarity of them or like um, reminders of like old feelings that they spark. And so even though like, you know, the sound and stuff wasn't necessarily um, original. Like these are sounds and musical traditions like born of the black queer community. It was refreshing to hear because it's like, you know, there hasn't been that kind of like representation on that stage. Um, and it's just nice to hear something new, something fun, um, something with a little kick to it in the summertime, so. I, I agree that like, you know, her, her whole image and their image as a collective, Beyonce and Jay-Z, are, you hit the nail on the head, selling us back, selling back to us Black radicalism, selling Black feminism, um, and all of these movements that we are craving so that the music feels like we are participating in a Black feminist act, like by listening to her, when really that's not the case, right? It continues no. to put money into their pockets and it does, you know, politically and um, policy-wise, nothing. Nothing. Not <laughs> right? a damn thing. And so it's like, you know, it makes us feel like, oh, we're consuming her and that in of the consumption in and of itself is a black radical act right but we're being deceived right so consumption is never radical yes <laughs> consumption is never radical yes <laughs> so so it's frustrating you know and and again we're buying into this into her individual freedom as if we get a piece of it we don't no. and so um again it's all raisin in the sun to me it's all bringing it back um that like that dreaming of individual wealth of individual freedom of you being on top and becoming the oppressor but that serves no one but that but but it shows the limitations of the capitalism and of patriarchy and of white supremacy of all those things linked that that's what we're still dreaming of that we can't get out of dream like the biggest we can dream is i'm on top now that's that that me and mine are free 
versus as a collective, as a community, we are moving right. towards freedom. And my great, 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 great grandchildren already rich. Yes, yes. And, you know, again, speaking to your points about economic justice, that they have the power to bring about economic justice and they choose not to. That is a choice. And every billionaire is a policy failure. It's a po- right. It's a failure of the state to allow that type of wealth to monopolize in one place. Because those people will misuse it and will hoard it and will make sure that them and You can't and properly use a billion dollars. It's exactly. an unspendable amount of money. You literally can't spend it all if you tried. Yes. You can't. Yeah. So that means that it's hoarding by default. The only thing that it can do is sit there and amass because that's what that kind of wealth is supposed to do. Right. You literally sit it down like a cinder block and let it sit there. When people are starving, you have an unspendable amount of money. There is no morality in that. There isn't. Because you have enough to still be filthy rich for the rest of your life and make sure that other people get better. You mm-hmm. could build infrastructure. It is shocking for to me that we applauded that woman for putting on the Black Panther's costume without a free breakfast program in hand. Mm. Beyonce got free breakfast money. She has not just the literal capital, but the social capital, people will do what she says. Mm -hmm. People will do what she says. So if she opened her mouth and says, hey, I am starting this program where instead of kids paying for lunch at school, like we're going to build, you know, food trucks that go out to every portion of the country and kids are going to get lunch free. So I need volunteers. I need this. I need that. You know how fast people would sign up to do something like that with her? She has that Mm -hmm. kind of money. Where is your radical imagination? And why does your imagination stop at misusing the textile industry to make clothes that nobody's buying? Oh, you see that they, they you see that uh, Adidas is actually losing money with Ivy Park? Oh, Who was surprised? No. <laughs> she don't even wear those clothes. Are y'all wearing Ivy Park, listeners? No. <laughs> no, people are not wearing Ivy Park unless you're a, obsessed with Beyonce, but yeah. it's not the hit that it could have been because it don't make sense for her as a brand. No. When do we ever see Beyonce and Ackler? We, we don't see Beyonce at all. Why are you right. trying to be accessible when your brand is not? I mean, that's a separate issue. Exactly. I'm just saying like, you're trading your politics over something that isn't even working does make you look goofy. I would mm. still be mad though. Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, Miss Fenty out here blotting herself with free marketing, Fenty uh, at the Super Bowl, she openly sold out. She literally said me doing the Super Bowl would be me selling out to Teen Vogue. She said it mm. and then you did it. Yeah. But I mean- at least she can actually retire. <laughs> that's so funny about Ivy Park. I mean, it's true. And that's I, I, that's a really good point as far as like, we don't we also don't go to Beyonce because she's accessible. We go to her because she's aspirational. So like, why are you trying to be somebody who is relating to the masses when really people are drawn to you because they want to be you? And so like, we can also talk about, again, we can move into the aesthetics of the album and how we received it and our favorite songs and all that. You know, the album is dripping in wealth, right? That it sounds expensive, that like he did, right? That that's a song where it's yes. like, yeah, that's a song where it's like we 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 and i said this back in my other episode about beyonce that she that she functions as a cultural surrogate for the masses right for people in different ways especially for white women i feel like right because she's she's an accessible type of blackness to where she's not fully removed right again she spent you know the majority of her career not even singing about blackness but singing girl boss power anthems you must not know about me right like very (laughs) right kind of open to the public and that's how you attain a global audience um 
because if you're going to be singing like really really um singing expressly about blackness especially about something like a black radical politic it's not going to be universal so you know she chose and it's not meant to be exactly and she chose very strategically to incorporate that later into her career you know everything that she does is heavily calculated she pays attention to everything you know so um but yeah songs like heated on the album are kind of meant to embody that wealth that we're seeing as aspirational um and so the the album you know it's just saying so much about about capitalism this this two-faced kind of trying to be accessible and yet at the same time knowing why your audience is there and what we're there to consume and it's and it's wealth we're there to consume a wealthy aesthetic when i first listened to the album i specifically planned to listen to it when i worked out in the gym so i waited all day after the album dropped and then went to the gym and listened to the whole thing all the way through that was an experience i think with the combination of the rushing endorphins from me working out but also from the music in the album um it's kind of forever solidified as like a this one of my favorite albums of hers um when it's a friday afternoon and i'm driving i put it on when i'm hanging out with friends Anytime I'm trying to get hype or just kind of have a good time, I have a renaissance song in my playlist for sure. I listened to renaissance almost every day when it first came out and I've started listening to it again multiple times a week since I got tickets for the tour. Mostly when I'm working out, uh, when I'm getting ready or like when I need to pick me up, when I want to listen to something fun and light, and I don't listen to a lot of pop, but yeah, I guess Beyonce is the exception. <laughs> so, you know, I live in South Africa, so there were quite a couple of um, Renaissance parties that happened in different cities. So I went to one um, when the album came out. Uh, I think a month after the album came out, there was one that was hosted in Cape Town that I went to. And that was also just such a beautiful moment because as we were all in that space listening to the album, number one, everyone knew every beat and every word <laughs> down to the count already. But the sense of community and just what the music meant to us, you know, I think for us, it, it, it just provided that sense of solidarity um against the landscape of music or wherever we are in our lives that feel quite isolating um so yeah so let's let's really get into the album and kind of talk about how you received it i mean it is certainly now i do think it's my favorite beyonce album i think it's incredibly intentional I think it's masterful. I think it's really cohesive. Um, I mean, I love Lemonade as well. And again, I love the subtitled. Um, but um, yeah, as an album, I just, I, I, I find it really, really enjoyable. Um, and such an interesting fusion of style, genres, sounds, samples, right? Like just so incredibly intentional in who she collaborated with and everything that's used on the album. So I really love it. Uh, what is your top four? Listeners, we don't do top threes around here. We do top fours. So, because uh, <laughs> top three is not enough. You need a fourth and you need some honorable mentions. So let's get into your top four, Yisma, to you. We always start with an honorable mention. My honorable mention is Church Girl. Um, okay. Because it's 
again, quite autobiographical for me. And very autobiographical for Beyonce, who was someone also clearly raised in the um, Black Christian church and has done things to piss off the Black Christian church over and over and over and over and over again, especially by being overtly sexual. And one of the reasons that she, um, Jay-Z is almost to her, like the strip club was to me, in that it exposed me to the power of patriarchy and it gave me a place to play with my sexuality and my sensuality without uh, recourse. Yeah, I can be sexually deviant in a strip club, and like, and as far as the bounds of the strip club goes, no one is going to call me any names. And Beyonce can be openly sexual and sensual and be like face down, ass up on performances in cameras because she's married, because yeah. she's a married lady. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I love Church Girl. I think that it is. Um, one of the more obviously autobiographical tracks on the uh, record. And it is very good at blending pop and like house music, even though people people did have, uh, this is just an aside, but people did have upset with the Grammy for best house album going to this album, because I would also argue that it's more pop than house. Um, and I also think that house is pretty closed culture and that one of the, actually one of the general critiques of Rihanna, uh, Beyonce's Renaissance is that she invites herself into spaces, uh, and assumes that it will be okay because she's Beyonce. Mm. One of the ways that that was openly, uh, noticeable on this album was the use of Khalees' track without Khalees' permission. She called the money, but she ain't called the artist. Right. I generally feel, I mean, the vibe that I got from that was it's an honor for me to use your stuff. And Khalees is your elder. She, y'all aren't peers. Khalees came before you. So she might not feel that way. She might just feel like you are uh, like an arrogant youngin who's taking her shit. And I actually don't really feel like she's wrong for that. Mm. Because the fact that you called the money, but not the artist is nuts. And I'm certain that Beyonce felt like that. Or like, and it's not like Beyonce can do anything. Obviously, Beyonce is not going to say shit in public because Beyonce stays in public and the world stops. But when Saucy Santana used Crazy in Love's sample, like your fa- your face is associated with those horns, okay? Yeah. Um, and it's not a good song. <laughs> so now you have to sit here and listen to something that is iconically tied to you and have everybody say, Beyonce cleared this, Beyonce cleared this, Beyonce ain't have a say, but like, look how shitty that feels. Mm. Uh, I did love Church Girl. That's just an aside. I, oh my gosh. I cannot believe Grace Jones is on this album. Every time I see Grace Jones here, I'm like, Grace Jones. (laughs) Grace Jones. It's actually iconic. Okay. Um, I'm like like finalizing it right now and I'm like, this is so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. (laughs) Okay. Do you have a second honorable mention? You have another one? A second honorable it's a it's a long album i agree um it's actually probably <laughs> fuck i don't know i'm like fine i'm like frantically writing like i think i i think i've got it this is hard for me but i'll go ahead and share one of my honorable mentions um which is alien superstar no alien superstar is most definitely my top four <laughs> 
<laughs> I know we're gonna have different top fours, but you know that's why you're on the show. Um, so yeah, Alien Superstar. Obviously, it's incredible. It gets stuck in my head so much, like the ending. Uh, I just talked about Casanova, Superstar, Supernova. Like it just gets stuck in my head, like nobody's business. So I absolutely love that song. Um, again, kind of making all these references to like Afrofuturism, which again, like. <laughs> like educating the masses about movements which you don't actually have any claims to have any stake in like have a personal politics centered around so it's kind of you know it's contentious for me but i love that song i think my second honorable mention is all up in your mind because i hated that song when i first heard it okay. and then I I heard I heard it and I was like I feel like the song is gonna grow on me and I don't even want it to, because that's the point of the song. Like it's I feel like it's a song that's supposed to sit like a barbed wire where you think that you're not gonna like it and then in three months you're like, I'll be a group before you. <laughs> so I <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It did what it was supposed to do. I'm not saying that I think that it's like one of my favorite or best tracks on the album, but I think that it's the track that got me like got me the best. Like it got me. Damn it. So that was one that grew on you. All right. Um, and my second honorable mention is energy. I love energy so much. I It's my go-to workout song. I mean, and also, you know, we should also touch on the transitions between songs, right? Which is a big reason why it feels like such a cohesive album. So the transition from Cuff It into energy is just chef's kiss. I love it so much. Um, and... I love the harmonies in the second verse, I think are kind of really characteristic of her. Um, I just think, I think it's an incredible song and it has the energy. Um, I'm not gonna lie, Church Girl is my favorite. And it's funny because I think Church Girl wasn't my favorite at first. I Not because I didn't like it, but because I didn't actually just pay attention to it compared to the other songs. And as the time went on, I kind of listened to it a little more. I realized, wow, this is actually like so related to my life. And so I think that this song to me represents kind of the era I'm going through right now, this confidence that I've recently accumulated thanks to this period of self-growth for myself, but also thanks to my community that I've been building. And I think that I was, when I think about Church Girl, I think about myself as that quiet, reserved, goody two-shoes church girl who always went to choir rehearsal and all of that when I was little. And then comparing that to the woman I am right now and that I'm becoming, is someone who's a lot more self-assured, someone who's a lot more confident, but best of all, someone who's kind of like letting go. And I think that Church Girl, the lyrics in that song is just really the theme is like letting go and being who you are and kind of kind of breaking out of your shell. Ooh, my favorite songs on the album. That's tough. Definitely Cuff It, Energy, Heated, All Up In Your Mind. And definitely America has a problem. I don't know what she put in that last one, but it is so good. <laughs> give us your top All four. Right. Give it to us. Oh my gosh. Why do I have to go first? Eh, just okay. give us give us number four. What's number four? Number four. 
suspense. <laughs> They're moving it around last minute. <laughs> Number four is America's Got a Problem. Okay. It's so good. It's so, 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 so good. Um, This is one of my favorite songs on the album. And it wasn't one of my favorite songs on the initial first uh, listen to. I think that Beyonce made an album that is entire, like made to be listened to over time. For one, there are so mm. many tracks on this album. And secondly, it dropped in the summertime. So it makes sense to me that my favorite songs when I first heard it were songs that made me feel warm and like bubbly and like I wanted to have a good time this summer. And because when I listened to it this winter, my favorite songs had changed quite a bit. And the songs that I listened to like repeatedly over and over again changed quite a bit. Um, yeah. my Spotify rap had this song like playlist all over it and I could see which ones were like the the ones that got added because I started bumping them in like October versus the songs that I had on repeat when it dropped in July because uh, yeah. in July I was cuff it every day was um uh church girl every day was plastic off a sofa every day was summer renaissance every day because it was summer um and those yeah. were the songs that I wanted to listen to while it was like warm outside and we were top down and it was August August in Chicago is beautiful <laughs> like it's one of my it favorite oh that's one of my favorite places to be at that time of year so America's got a problem I love it because it is gritty um and it is a song that's really good at cosplaying revolution um cosplaying like thought equals action however it still got my I'm it still got me it's so good <laughs> I love it. I really love this observation because I do feel like I held off on listening to the album for a while. So I do feel like I'm still kind of in the summer mode when it comes to listening to the album, which will be reflected in my favorite songs. Um, my number four is Move, of course, Grace Jones. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I do all the time. I'll be standing in line and be like, Grace Jones. <laughs> I just love, I mean, literally, what is there even to say about this? It's just like, move out the way. I can't do it. Like, (laughs) it's the perfect mood setter. It's the perfect walking song. Like, I'd be walking onto the bus and you're like, I stomp when I was, yes, yes. This song, I didn't, I thought of this song when I was um, home with our family. And we have, our, our youngest cousin is four. He's turning five this year. And the song made me realize that Beyonce is a mom. Uh, because this is a really good song to sing at your children when you want them to do something, but you want to gentle parent them. And I started, move out the way, I'm with my girls away on it. And he was giggling and like, now I can correct him appropriately without having to be like, step all of them, move out of the way. You know, it's like, now I move out the way and it does the same thing. <laughs> Listening to this album again with the knowledge that Beyonce is a mother. Beyonce is not mother she's mother okay like she has her own family and Mm. like thinking about her kids uh driving around with Samuel and him wanting to listen to Baby Shark all the time I was like kid you're killing me so we got to figure out something we can meet in the middle and Mm. I returned to Renaissance all the time because songs like Move had him like this in his little in his little seat um and they were fun for him without being like Mm. boring because he can't listen to slow R&B with me all the time he's four he can't listen to jazz music all the time. Like he's four. He wants something that he can like play and sing yeah. and scream to. Um, okay, so what's your number three? Alien Superstar. Okay. I that that was the song. I was listening to Alien Superstar. I'll tell you that my first listen, I got high and I got in the shower and I turned all the lights off and I stayed in the shower for like a hot 40 minutes, just like listening to the album and letting it happen to me. 
Um, and Alien Superstar was the song that made me realize that I'm going to miss the club so much. Because at that time I was taking a prolonged break from the club and I knew that I would not be back anytime soon. I was not going to be back during Beyonce, Beyonce's Renaissance Summer. And that was the song that I was like, I, the stage sets that I would have done to the song are superb. And I can relate to the experience of being so excellent and being your own bar so much that it results in other people dehumanizing you. Um, so in the same vein, as mm. I heard the Afrofuturism and like the post-humanism, what happens after human, because I'm already here, nobody views me as human anymore. So what is there for me? Like, I'm just an alien superstar. I don't know. It, just, it like spoke very deeply to me. It spoke deeply to me as I was experiencing my first big waves of dehumanization on the internet. It spoke very deeply to me as I experienced dehumanization at the club because people want me to be a walking fantasy and forget that I have to inhabit that as a person. Um, and I was experiencing that as a performer because by the time I was done with my tenure at that particular club in Ricks, um, I was one of the best pole dancers in there. And my coworkers told me that all of the time. So mm. I was thinking about as a performer, what it's like to have people like I, I regularly got the feedback, like what you do up there, it looks unhuman. Um, and that's feedback that mm. I have for Beyonce's voice on this album. Sometimes it's like, are you a siren and not a person? Like, I really do want to believe there is something mythical and magical about her. So I think the storytelling of Alien Superstar yeah. uh, along with that, like, it feels like another track, like Lucky. Like, I have storytelling that is, in fact, like, nuanced and sad. Um, like, that the part of the, the blessings of fame encapsulate, like, this heartbreak um, at leaving your humanity behind you at the door because nobody is going to extend it to you anymore. While also coming into the mm. freedom of being able to completely invent yourself because what happens after human? mixed with mm. the music of alien superstar like stuff that makes you want to move it it reminded me of being in ballet like once you get the the verses are so fast paced and then we open up into this giant plane of a chorus it make it's the kind of stuff that makes me want to spin really fast on the pole so that way when i spread out and it slows down it looks like ethereal it looks graceful it looks like i'm moving through honey it's really like the mm. narrative and the sonic storytelling of Alien Superstar that like spoke to me in that way. Thank you for sharing. And, and something that I also think is so um, interesting about this song and a few songs on the album, you have to pay attention to mm -hmm. which songs are singable, like by the masses, and which songs are meant to be that like ethereal, superhuman, siren kind of thing, right? Because there are songs that are meant to be like, you know, blasting in the club and everybody's singing, you yeah. won't break my soul, ten, right? Ten, like, ten, where it's supposed to be, right? Exactly, where it's supposed to be, yeah, chanted, like this, like, like again, kind of coming into that, um, that cultural surrogate idea of what are the songs that people can easily step into, like, with their voices and with their bodies, right? So Heated is one of those songs that kind of um, comes to mind, that it's one of the more singable ones. Alien Superstar mm. with the unique yeah. All of us, forever. Like, that's so easily <laughs> quotable, exactly. <laughs> that it's so, like, easily recognizable, um, to her brand, like it's so clearly like world building as as far as you're saying narrative brand building, and it's so easily recognizable to her that it's just like anytime it's like, unique, and it's just like you know it's like you know the song, you know it's her, that's what you are. So yeah, it's just that's another song to me 
Um, they the, like the songs are all kind of kind of singable in different ways, but some of them are just meant to be superhuman, like Virgo's Groove, and some of them are meant to be you know gateways for the for the masses to experiment with her identity right with taking on the kind of like that horrible period when everybody was talking about like beyonce is my spirit animal like uh like <laughs> beyonce is <laughs> the person that's alive where people are i really cannot even imagine how i would feel if people were like i'm wearing you what like uh, uh. disgusting I mean, but isn't that what we're doing like she's <laughs> also very good like she that's what she does what she she's... gives us a costume to put on so that we can know what it is like right because we don't know her obviously yeah yeah so thank you for sharing that um so my number three is pure slash honey love bad bitches to the left as soon as it comes on i just can't even (laughs) i (laughs) i literally can't control myself it's such an incredible song and to me it's the song that's the most technically excellent agreed because it kind of right because it kind of um bridges these two major halves of the album which is this house music sound with this classic r&b kind of sound with the like two a like a songs. donna summers r&b like i'm talking classic people say r&b classics we think the 90s no run it back like this sounds yes. like especially the the honey portion of the song honey, honey. that's something that donna summers I'm like yeah it's straight 70s 80s like it's so good and so I yeah that that song to me is the most um representative of of what she's doing in the album with all the genre bending and it's kind of all contained in this one song and so I like I just have so much respect for this song I have other songs as we'll talk about on the list that that kind of um are more sentimental to me but this I do feel like overall is kind of like the best song technically and so I just I just love listening to it I love admiring it so much I think the transition again is so smooth and so exact and like exactly what it needs to be it's just like it's it's I marvel at it every time it's the one that I'm the most amazed by I think So I really do like songs, podcasts, like just different sensory things that can kind of give me a jump, give me a boost, make me feel encouraged, make me feel powerful, make me feel excited, ready to conquer like whatever I have going on. And I will say like this album is definitely that alien superstar, America has a problem, like this album is it, like it's it. To me, those are the most rejuvenating tracks because it's like reminders of things that I hold to be true of myself, things that are precious to me or things that make me feel powerful, like ways I already see myself. But those songs just give me that, you know, reminder in the musical form that that is who I am, that is what I am. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of Black women, women and femmes listen to Beyonce, identify with the music. Well, my favorite song on the album literally changes all the time, but in terms of technicality and ability, for me, Virgo's groove is just, it, it, the song itself is almost like a celebration of how far she has come as a musician. I think the song um, was nominated for the Grammys this year for Best R&B Vocal Arrangement. And it's so evident in, in, in the style and, and, and how the and how her range is completely shown off in that song. 
people think it's plastic off the sofa compared but if you really listen to the two for me virgo's groove takes the cake in that regard um and my other favorite track is heated just because you can clearly hear the influence of black is king um on that track with the inclusion of thames but also you know um the backing music in of itself sounds like something that's infused with afro beats with amon piano you know borrowing from these styles that you know she's learned over the past few years What's your two? Number two. Number two is Virgo's Groove. I can be the one that takes you. I can be the one that takes you there on this match, baby. Come over. Oh my gosh! Because you know we have to sing it because I can't put any of the music in the podcast, listeners. No, I can't put it. (laughs) It's only gonna get you high. Okay. As someone who this album just made me very happy to be a stripper. Like I did sincerely forget how unusual my life was uh during that point in time i think that my sister was very uh cognizant of how normal i felt like everything was and you'd have to be reminding me every now and again that like your life is really like every time you brought it up i was like what (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh and i didn't i didn't surprise you with that i told you about the process of hey i'm thinking about becoming a stripper but i don't quite know okay i've done some more research and i found out this like you were there for every step like every very intentional step i took toward this this was not something i just woke up and decided to do one day part of it is because it's so different from my own life that it was just kind of like jarring but you know i talk all the time about like it's just never something that i expected Mm. to come from you or for you mm-hmm. and so for a long time it was just kind of like oh right that's happening that's really happening mm. they're really doing it yeah. like that's really, that's <laughs> that's really happening and that's what they've chosen to do and now they have this whole other marginalized identity that i have to consider and like wow that's really wow it's like deeply <laughs> profoundly shaping their experience as a person like what like yeah <laughs> it's still drugs. hard for me to you know what around sometimes deeply profoundly shaped my human experience drugs the use of drugs uh the use of sex <laughs> And the use of sex and drugs. And mm-hmm. I love Virgo's Groove so much because it is like that good crack music from the 70s. Like it's that good, sure. good, like it's that Sonic Silk, so, sorry, Silk Sonic ass shit. It's the you did a line and made this track and I'm going to be grateful for you forever kind of music. I don't know Beyonce be dibbling, dabbling. That's none of my business. And mm-hmm. the persona of Beyonce is not really something that we associate with drugs. Um, it's someone that we associate with sex, but that's because she, she's allowed us to, right? Like, and not only allowed us to encourage us to with tracks, like, I mean, the entirety of B-Day, Partition, like some of like her best songs are about her being sexed up and insatiable. So mm. we associate Beyonce with sex. We have not yet. And also because we didn't really give Beyonce a choice, right? She's moving in the body that she's moving in. I to have a body that people associate with sex and have associated with sex before I was ready to associate it with sex. Um, So it's not like she had the choice. So she just kind of owned it rather than um, moved in a different way and covered it up. However, drugs are a choice. Um, Drugs are not Mm. something that people would necessarily ascribe to Beyonce, especially because we ascribe royalty to her. We ascribe um, superhumanness, demigodless godliness to her not even godly as in like the god of israel the christian god but godly as in you are a god in and of itself we hear those lyrics and cozy drugs are a choice because you didn't have to 
like you, you and and drugs are also something that is taboo so in in renaissance we have themes of running towards things that are taboo we have themes of like i need a prescription i'm trying to go missing um in songs about like let's go out that's not let's go out get your freak of dress on that's not let's go have and have fun with your girlfriend that's let's pop some pills and have a night that's so fun that we literally cannot remember that is a level of taboo that we haven't necessarily seen beyonce foray into um especially as you know we know that she has black ass parents from a black ass church and we know that she has a portion of respectability politics that she holds on to that I feel like she let go of a little bit to make tracks like Virgo's Groove. Um, so I loved it as a casual drug user. I loved it as someone who only wanted to listen to Renaissance High for quite some time. Um, I loved it as someone who I wouldn't, I addicted to sex is a lot, but I was for sure running up my mileage when I had the time and space to. Um, it was just uh, like, I, I think I crave songs about drugs and sex that are sincere and are not uprooted in trauma. Cause yeah, yes, there's a lot of trauma that I have associated with dancing. Of course, there's a lot of trauma I have associated with drugs and sex and sex with men that didn't whatever, like da, 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 da. But sometimes I just want to have earth, wind and fire moments about drugs and sex. Like, I just wanted to be like, drugs and sex are great. Right. Like, can we just, I like it. Uh, reminiscent of also the 70s re- renaissance of music that happened in the black world where we had music about drugs and sex that we still bump to this day Absolutely. that we don't heavily associate with drugs and sex because it wasn't aggressive it wasn't explicit yeah yeah so this is a song about drugs and sex that isn't explicit even though i mean it, it it's it's melodic and layered and like groovy enough to cover up the drugs and sex and so we leave out the taboo and we just enjoy the high my number two speaking to your personal narrative and the way that you relate to songs like lucky um and like alien superstar mine is church girl (laughs) um i love this song because of you know, my top two songs kind of are reminiscent of different Beyonce eras, right? So to me, they sound the most Beyonce, which is probably why I gravitate towards them. Because as I shared earlier with my personal history of Beyonce, I love the Sasha Fierce era. I loved the self-titled era. I love the, the Lemonade era, right? So, you know, it's speaking to my own personal history consuming Beyonce and what I love most about Beyonce, what, what I feel like I go to Beyonce for. But also, yeah, my personal narrative as a certified church girl, <laughs> um, you know, growing up in church and and the way in which Beyonce has been you know along for the ride a part of my becoming an adult and a part of my own social political awareness my own um you know process of of sexual liberation and discovery and the way that this song through um the sample through the references <laughs> and through um the beat and the production inspires freedom inspires liberation which again it's only a taste right it's not like actual it's not ushering in actual lasting changing. political liberation <laughs> however but right damn it but tastes the way good. That, it is- that little taste <laughs> that you're giving us i'm like give me my hit me again 
and we're addicted and we keep paying and we pay, you know, thousands of money for tickets. But, you know, it's, you know, the way that it inspires freedom in my body. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's not a right. She's selling again, not this uh, freedom on, on a policy level, freedom at the level of the state, but it's freedom. But it's this interpersonal freedom. It's about like what's what's going on with you? What is personally um, limiting you and your self-expression in the way that you relate to and use your body in the way that your body is perceived and the way that. Right. So it's all it's, you know, it's speaking to this internal monologue that a lot of women have when they grow up in the church, right? Especially, again, if you're Black growing up in the church. And, um, you know, the, the the ways in which uh, limitations are put on your body as far as, like, your own use of expression, or, again, the ways in which your body is sexualized and, and you're told that that's your own fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this interpersonal dialogue that she's kind of bringing out in the consumer, Right, that she's asking you, what's your relationship to your body? What are the lies and the ways in which people are putting expectations and limitations on your body? And how do you let that go? How do you release, right, the limitations that have been put on your body? Mm. And so this call to like movement, this call to to move your body in a in a in a free way. Um and also she has this which I find again so weird and strange that she has this little like throwaway line that's like you know she's she's just trying to do the best she can, happy with her friends on her own without a man. Now why are we doing that? <laughs> now why are we doing that? Why are we lying? I understand that we're supposed she's supposed to be making things for me. It's just that like you literally don't for- let us forget that you're married. It would be different if you had a husband like Dolly Parton. Like, don't nobody know anything about Dolly Parton's man. She leave that man. She took your advice. She's a lady that leaves her man at home. Mm-hmm. You went on a reunion tour with yours after he dogged you out in front of the world. Um, why must you? Or, or I have to wonder: Is Beyonce calling to and writing to herself before she was married? Do I, is she is she writing this for herself when she was in her early twenties and? everybody was shocked mm. at how sexual she was and how bold she was and how like everyone hated her because they wanted her which we got on this album too okay like I, I had to wonder like is this to you before is this to you are you are you calling forth the person that you were before you married um someone as mm. high profile and influential because no it's not you right now but we also have 40 year old singers 40 year old beyonce singing um i just got out of college so like who who is she making music for as i know as an artist so much of the art that i make is for my younger self it's not for y'all you can witness but a lot of the things that i write i'm not speaking to you so maybe it's to her before she when she was a girl that had church in the morning As a woman in my 20s who's still figuring out my life, I think that the entire Renaissance album encapsulates kind of that development as a woman and um, it keeps my spirits up, teaches me confidence. It teaches me that you can, as I had already touched on, there's so many different ways to live and there's so many, there's so much expansiveness that I could have in my life. Trying to have this abundance perspective uh, as a black and Japanese woman navigating my identity, I think that this 
album is also helping me to learn how to be self-assured with myself and my identity and achieve the goals that I want out of life. Um, and best of all, I think what I love about this album is the community that comes from listening to it among those who also enjoy this album. Um, there was an article published in The Conversation, um, which publishes articles by academics and things like that, by someone called James Paradza, um, who's doing his doctorate in music at the University of Pretoria, and just kind of talked about the importance for, you know, Beyonce's fans in Africa to not be excluded from this world tour. And so I think for the community of those that are in the Beehive in Africa or you know, outside of what would be considered the quote-unquote global north, we really are wanting to to be part of it, to be part of this journey that she's on in her music with Renaissance. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, I, you know, I saw some tweets floating around that she might come to Africa in 2024, but we'll see. We'll see. There was the Global Citizens concert in 2018, that was for charity um, that she performed, um, but yeah, we're 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 here. We you know we want her to return. And now let's get to your number one. I'm so excited. This what is, is it? Very easy pick. It's pure slash honey. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Really, for all the reasons that you mentioned before, it's the song I'm most in awe of. It's the song that's most um, I think technically complex it like is a joy to listen to i can run it back over and over and over again i'm so excited to see live interpretations and it's the song that like makes me want to see beyonce live on this tour more than once even though i don't got that kind of money and that i once is a blessing um but i know that that song will never be performed the same way twice not that any of them are but because of the music of that song like and how sure. it would lend itself live with a big band just brilliant like I don't even I'm I'm I don't have much to add other than it feels like drugs like it it feels like the high of the album no literally I love it so much and I I echo your sentiments I'm so excited to see it live and how she's gonna incorporate the audience and you know point to the advantages are over there and the money bitches are over there like it's like I could see it already, but you can't. You have no idea like what she's gonna do. She's impossible and to it's imagine. Gonna be so oh, it's gonna be incredible. I'm so excited. Um, so my number one, nobody is surprised. It is Cuff It. I mean, it really is like even just speaking to the popularity of the song, the way that it's stitched the on TikTok, the way that it shows up on all the reels, the way that it like you just can't deny it's like this ubiquitous kind of anthem of the album. And I love it so much because it feels the most Beyonce, because it's so reminiscent. It's giving love on top. It's it giving 7-Eleven. It's giving like it's like it's kind of hearkening back to like it's giving get me bodied all of those just like party we're getting ready we're gonna go out we're gonna have a grand time kind of added with those you know as you mentioned with extra stakes because of now there's drugs but like <laughs> you know um and so like it's it's to me yeah it's signaling the most like kind of classic quote-unquote beyonce um with the use of the horns and the big band like the way that that sonically the song is set up but also yeah the way the way that um it has kind of entered the cultural zeitgeist as kind of the anthem of the album i just love it so much but from the first time that i listened to the album and you know we're sharing kind of 
when we first listened to it, I did know that I was going to write, um, uh, I, I was in a workshop with, uh, Ziba Blay, who wrote Carefree Bla- Black Girls, and I knew that I was going to write an essay on the album for Ziba, and then eventually get around to do a podcast about it. So I literally sat down with my headphones in my living room and lit a candle and just had a notebook in my lap, like a true academic. <laughs> to just like write down all of my and instantly I knew Covet was my favorite song I knew it like and it remains my favorite song um it's my go-to workout song dance song getting ready song pump up song like it serves so many different functions which I think again kind of relates to the fungibility of Beyonce of her persona that we don't really know her but we don't need to because we can use her because we can step inside her persona and try on what it feels what it feels like to be her right we get to try on the wealth we get to try on the man we get to try out right like all of these things that she represents especially to black women we get to try on the excellence you know a lot of us that are Beyonce stands are Beyonce stands because we're excellent and because we have like an addiction mm. to excellence um mm. not just for the quality of the music but because she is excellent so it's not just that we get to try on the excellence it's that we get to try on the the reward the Mm. a a reward that feels commiserate with how much we pour ourselves into our work because we are excellent and we do such great work and and right one of the major things that separates us from beyonce not only all the the privileges that we talked about earlier but just yes you're right the fact that like it's so it's so scarcely rewarded right the the work that women that black women are doing right the work the actual political activism the actual education the actual right like we are doing the work capital t capital w and yet that's not the work that gets rewarded because it's not billions, as yeah. glamorous and flashy. Because the only way to make individual billions, the only way to make individual millions upon billions is to join the boys club still. So you get to try on the reward. You get to try on with the reward without making a negotiation to your personal politic. Um, you get to try on the reward without like adopting those morals, without yeah. adopting that politic. You just have and to pay so, like, like a finder's fee. exactly um but again it's like even the the girlies who are listening and who don't have a moral quandary about the politics that are represented in this album it's such a deeply political album they just don't have those politics they are ascribing to beyonce's politics because she's aspirational they're like those politics are aspirational too Mm. like i'll take whatever she's selling if i can become her Mm -hmm. if i have the hope of becoming her and so so like it just doesn't it's remarkable again like what she is selling us she's not selling us her she's selling us like a very heavily curated private but still with the allure of making her audience feel like they deeply know her even though we literally know nothing about her um she's selling the persona and she's selling this empty politic that again has the consequence of educating the masses because she is so widespread and ubiquitous. So like, it's just a day, it's, it's a really fascinating and dangerous combination. Um, but it's ultimately a policy failure that it's allowed to happen this way. And so it's just, she's such a conundrum. It's not even just a policy failure. It's a cultural failure because if you are getting 
if you're getting your best political education from Beyonce's bite-sized versions of revolution, you got to do better. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But of course, it's like the state doesn't want us politi- no. like politically I mean, educated. We, <laughs> as Black people, do our best to politically educate us, but we continue to platform patriarchal bullshit such that That's huge. Pa- bullshit that is so hot and fresh that Beyonce looks mm. radical in comparison. We see mm. like that. I mean, we see it's like Jay-Z and Beyonce are somewhat separate in cultural memory. But I was th- the entire time Jay-Z was making a fool of himself. I was like, that's your man. That's your man. That's your man. For no reason. For some reason, it was Jay-Z's an open capitalist. But you say Beyonce's an open capitalist. People were like, well, but are you kidding me? They're on the same. T- you hear her on the tracks. I'm good. Like she makes her decisions. The only reason that we can pretend like she has a different politic is because she don't say shit. She don't mm. say shit. Because when they are in the position to talk, which is in their actions and I guess their Twitter fingers, they say bullshit. They remind us that their true race and that their true class and that their true gender is ultra wealthy. Like wealth can precede all of those things. We hear Beyonce mm. talking on this record about her un-American life. Like um, Beyonce has the kind of money where citizenship doesn't even matter anymore. She can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So long as she has the right money and the right connections, which she does, and what she, uh, where she is behind Jay Z in monetary funds, she surpasses him by far in social capital, by far. Yeah. Yeah. So you're an open capitalist. You exploit other people's labor to make yourself rich. You keep the profits, right? There are thousands of people that work for Beyonce that still are one paycheck miss, and then they go into poverty. Mm. it is nuts to me that like every single dancer that was a part of homecoming is not a million dollars richer or however much like you can make that much in in cultural impact you can turn that cultural impact into monetary gain and you slice off a percentage for the team that put it together Mm -hmm. or if the team is rewarded it's going to be beyonce's inner circle and not everybody there's you see there's this hierarchy of work and the hierarchy gets you get paid more the closest that you get to the center of this world that she's made for herself i also can't be all that mad at her for making a world for herself because the rest of the world is not safe for her Mm. the amount that people mob and grab beyonce the fact that she cannot exist in general public without people attempting to physically touch her and touch her in ways that might be violent that might end up violent whether they mean to or not we like where is there to go for to stay with a man that can guarantee your safety because of the money that he has and mm-hmm. to make sure that you have enough money to guarantee your own safety in this world that traps you with fame all right and that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast Thank you so much to Isman too for being on the show. I'm so, so thankful to be connected to you and that you're a part of my community. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing and so happy to be a witness to the ways in which you are developing and how art and music is such an integral part of that. And shout out to all my besties for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for offering your thoughts and perspectives. You know, Beyonce is not a monolith and the consumption of Beyonce is not a monolith. So I'm really, really thankful that I could include a couple more voices as to kind of really get at the public perception of Beyonce. In order of appearance, you heard the voices of Erica Benson, Gabby Kuby, Dylan Keyes Forster, and Ijoma Opara. 
If you, dear listener, are listening right now and you're like, gee willikers, I want to be on the show, send me an email at hermusicacademia at gmail.com. If you have any topic suggestions, any questions or comments about the show, please send me an email or go to my website, hermusicacademia.com, fill out the contact form there, get in touch with me, let's get you on the show, girl! Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.